What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another week and another episode of Unscripted, where we bring you conversations from professionals from all walks of life. We touch on their backstory, their mindset, and how they navigate through adversity and opposition. I'm your host, Akeem Haynes. Before we start the show, do us a huge favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a rating and review of the podcast. This small act goes a long way in moving this podcast forward. We appreciate you in advance and we thank you for all of our listeners that tune in each and every single week. So, with all that being said, let me introduce this week's special guest. This week, I'm joined on the show by someone who I've known since I was 15 years old. Back then, she wasn't the household name that we know of today. But she always was someone who wasn't afraid to do things her own way. This week, I'm joined with Kaylee Humphreys. There's probably nothing that Kaylee hasn't seen or heard of or experienced throughout her time, especially in competition on the ice. She's a four-time Olympian, winning gold in 2010 on Canadian soil. She won gold, defended her title in 2014, and in 2018, uh, she got a bronze medal. She's the first female to defend her title in two different games since Canadian figure skater Katerina Lemedon. Kaylee has also has a number of, if I'm not wrong, four world championship titles along the way to date. She's a fierce competitor, highly regarded as one of the best pilots, if not the best pilot that ever entered the sport of bobsled on the female side. You know, while she's done some amazing things on the ice, she's done some greater things, I would say, off the ice, you know, fighting for uh, female rights in the sports, equality. She fights against bullying. Uh, She does a lot of things for those coming behind her and those in the sport right now. She's not afraid to speak her mind. She's not afraid to speak her truth. Kaylee wears her heart on her sleeves. She's very passionate about her sport, her life, and people. You know, she's just all around good peoples across the board. In this episode, we talk about her upbringing. We talk about uh, winning, what it felt like to win an Olympic medal on home soil in Canada. We talk about the pressure that it took to repeat another title the following cycle. Uh, We talk about how she quiets the noise. We talk about mentorship, leadership, and how she coped with times of anxiety and depression. And we talk about why she stepped away from Canadian bobsled and switch to uh, the American bobsled team. We talk about so much things in this episode. Uh, Kaylee has so much wisdom, so much experience, and she's done quite a bit, not only in the sport of bobsled, but a lot of things that she's done off of the ice that a lot of people coming behind her, especially young women, will benefit from. And that's one of the things that you will hear in this episode. Um, She knows that a lot of things that she does right now, while it's very impactful, She knows that the future of women's sports is going to be able to benefit from it because of the fight um, that she continues to fight for. So without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Kaylee Humphreys. You can hear me? I can hear you. Man, what is going on? Not too much. How are you? I'm uh, not too bad. It's cold up here right now, but I mean, what else is new? <laughs> oh, fair. How Welcome things- to Canada. It's always cold. <laughs> What's going on with you? you? Coming from training, or you haven't started yet? I haven't started yet, but today's a recovery day, so that part's nice. Um, so I've got 
Cairo massage. And then I'll do like some stretching and just some like easy movement stuff, but yeah, it'll yeah. be easy day, which I am so ready for. See, it's always good because you and I have the same thing when it comes to actual recovery day. None of this, man, some people recovery days is like 300s and 200s and lifting this and lifting. No, I need to recover. <laughs> no, like, I need a day off. I worked real hard the last few days. I'm like, my body just needs to shut down. I'll still, and like massages are hard. Like it is work. Yes. And I'll do like stretching and slow stuff, but, and like some mobility, you know, cat camels. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Make sure T's working and we're not. <laughs> do maybe like three push-ups and call it a day because that's I don't got time for that. <laughs> right. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. And you know, I got so much things that I want to get into, but we got to go backwards before we go forwards. You know, we that's we cool. we talked a little bit off camera about you know the pandemic and the height of it. Um so Walk me through your thoughts last year, right? Because not only training-wise, things train, but you're all in everyday life. So walk me through a little bit of that, what that was like. Because again, nobody really knew what to make of this. <laughs> so we're watching different countries and different informations, and it can be hard to find out what information is true. So what was that like for you? How did you navigate through that? And what was a positive that came from it? It was hard for everybody. The pandemic... Like you said, I, I mean, I've never lived through one. Um, I now know why people back <laughs> in the day used to lie on couches and look super fat in like all those pictures because that just kind of became life. And it's challenging. I think any athlete goes through that. You have your work-life balance. You have your athlete side and then your real life, your family, your friends, husband, wives, kids, whatever it is. And it's trying to make the best of both scenarios and make them work as athletes mm -hmm. were generally fairly selfish beings, you know, you're prioritizing recovery. Am I too tired to do this? <laughs> building brand and image. It's more than just show up in training. You're showing up and destroying yourself mentally and physically to give everything to sport. And last year, nobody knew how to balance that. You know, we figured out how to do it for each of us individually before last year, but then everything shut down. Your gym's taken away. You don't have your training environment. You can't just easily go to the store and get what you want or what you need. Um, and whether that's food or resources. And when all of that gets taken away, at least I did for a period of time at first, you're like, this is nice. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like this weight has been lifted for a split second on the pressure to perform isn't quite there, but then all of a sudden the summer Olympics gets canceled. So everybody summer Olympian wise, my heart went out because I was like, you've planned and prepared for years and you're mm -hmm. right there. And then there's nothing you can do. The positive is it got taken away from everybody. It wasn't just one country. It was athletes, all summer Olympians, you know, for us winter athletes, it was, well, what does this mean? And everybody adapted slightly differently. For me personally, um, went into panic mode a little bit right after like two days of like, sweet, like, <laughs> me, but I'm forced to be in my house. Like I'll do what I can home workouts, but like, and so for two hot seconds, you feel this sense of, I don't have to work every day and kill myself in the gym. And then it becomes a panic of, okay, wait, 
but there's a release in doing that as an athlete for me crushing myself in the gym there is that release i get to be myself i get mentally to know i'm doing everything i can to reach my goals and dreams and now i don't have the ability my coach isn't there my training's not there i can't travel for training camps where am i going to go lift gyms are closed so i had to start with how do i get gym equipment mm. and right away prices skyrocketed on everything so hundred dollars extra <laughs> thousands of dollars extra for you know a lifting bar any type of bumper weights a squat rack i had to like go out and search equipment we had to turn our garage into an at-home gym and i'm fortunate that we had a garage and we yeah. were able to to make that transition it did take 10 12 weeks i had to become very inventive with my workouts um, and ultimately I wasn't in the same shape that I wanted to be. And I had to learn how to go into a season, not feeling a hundred percent prepared, mm. not getting the therapy and the treatment that was required, um, before the season, not feeling a hundred percent. Um, but I knew that a lot of the athletes weren't, and I think that's something we can all relate to is the world went through it. And that was reassuring. It wasn't just the Americans or the Canadians or the Germans, everyone was struggling. Everybody had different access to stuff. Sometimes it seemed unfair because certain athletes had better access or more freedom than others, but you had to make do the best you could with what you had. And you really had to think outside the box in order to get what you needed to. And also look at what is what I need and what is what I want and how mm. do I make these merge and making sure that my needs are met and then my wants, if I can get them great, but it's not going to necessarily make or break. And so it was definitely a challenge. And then on top of that, you're spending a lot more time with your family and your friends than you're used to. And you don't have those outlets. I had to find other ones. Doing puzzles for me became something I could order them online, get them mm -hmm. shipped. and I could kind of get an outlet that way. Um, I started doing like macrame braiding, anything I could like zone out on, I did. Um, and then my husband and I really tried to have some like really good conversations just in regards to, okay, we are here together. What is this going to look like for a relationship and use it as a positive? How can we build our relationship to be stronger through this? Understanding that for some couples that wasn't going to happen. Um, too much time together, <laughs> if not done yeah. properly can be a negative. And so uh, he became kind of coach, training partner, support system when I wasn't motivated to go to my at-home garage gym, because sometimes learning from, want isn't from everybody, you just don't want to. It's different when you can go somewhere versus do it in your kitchen. And you're like, ah, so <laughs> he definitely, I relied on him on those days. Uh, to help me through it. And then what the season was going to look like, we were unsure. For us in bobsled, at least on Team USA, we missed the whole first half last year of competition. We weren't sure what the pandemic was going to look like. The Germans, the Austrians, the Swiss, they all went and competed. And it was really hard to watch the rest of the world mm. compete and you know, be living out their dreams. And we're sitting here like, okay, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe. And in your head, you're like, no, this is really bad. Like the pandemic's still a thing. 
We don't know what's happening. It's not safe for us to travel. We don't even know if we can go to Europe, but yet somehow bobsled life is still existing. And so that mental shift of like, is it bad? Yes or no. Can I do it? I don't think I can do it. It's not safe. All of those thoughts. And instead of judging myself for having them, just recognizing Mm. that it's normal to have them recognizing it's okay. Talking to people, whether it was my sports psych, my other teammates, the coaches making plans as well, where we didn't know what the plans could be, but just having a couple options. So when we get to this date, we make a choice and it's A, B, or C. When that happens, then we have a path. We work so long until that changes. And it might be, it changes in a day. It changes three hours from now. It changes in a week versus having a full laid out system. You didn't know what was going to change on your path, but just being prepared that anything could happen, being patient, being flexible, and then having, like I said, to look at myself and go, okay, what are my needs and wants? And being confident that I was going to make the best decisions for me as an athlete, but also as a human being, you know, what did I need? What did my family need? If it meant not competing last year, you know what? I was going to have to take the year off. You have to learn to pivot and shift as things went along. And so we finally got to be able to compete after Christmas last year, we got the go ahead to um, head over to Europe and sport was different. It changed. We had to get COVID tested every four days. So Mm. you're getting stuff in your nose, down your throat, you know, when you get to a new place and then the day before the race, and then you travel. So every four days, hours worth of your day that is normally accounted for with recovery, with therapy, with sport is now taken up by waiting in a line, getting a COVID test, waiting for results, standing outside in the cold while those results are there, not conducive to high performance sport and what we're used to. But again, I continued to tell myself, this is what the rest of the world is doing. And it made it a little better. It wasn't just me. I wasn't being segregated or pulled out. It was every country from every nation worldwide. And I'm lucky to even have sport to be able to do it. I have an outlet. They're trying to make it work, the organizers and the committee and the volunteers. And then again, just being smart. It wasn't, I can't go to Europe and go sightsee or go to a restaurant. And it made it very apparent when we went over there, everything shut just like here. And so you're like, okay, well, it's literally Bob's track hotel room. I had to be smart for my teammates. I had to be smart for myself and for my family. I wasn't going to risk my health, their health, my mm-hmm. teammates, how much they're giving up to also be here and be competing and how much responsibility I have as an athlete. And that whole saying of with great reward comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. I definitely, you know, I think every athlete has had to to look at themselves and go, you know, where does that fit in my real life versus within sport? And so just being smart with it, um, we got through last year and then having confidence and adapting and learning to pivot. And I definitely feel stronger as an athlete, having gone through this now, knowing, you know what, I can pivot. If I don't get that massage, it's not the end of the world. Whereas three years ago, I would have, you know, destroyed somebody to try and get it. That's, Um, that's what I was just about to ask you how much, because when it first happened, you know, being, being on the outside of sport now, and to be honest, I was happy that I was on the outside of it because I didn't have to, man, where am I going to go train? It's Calgary, so I'm cold and all these different things, but being on the outside of it, I still mentor a lot of the guys in it. 
And the first thought was, yo, I'm, the Olympics is done. I'm shutting the season down now. I was like, I'm like, bro, it's March. Like, you can't do that. Like, you, you, you got to continue moving because you don't want to take seven months off and then try to come back in. But Kaylee, how much of that pivot for you? Let me ask a better question. If that was seven, eight years ago, do you think you would have handled it as well? Or the experience of always moving and pivoting kind of helps you for the decision that you had to make? For sure, the experience of being an athlete helped me deal with that. Um, because throughout my career, I've had to pivot. Moving from Canada to Team USA, giant, real life. Oh, pivot. we're going to get into that all right. 100%. <laughs> but there are, as an athlete, you learn. Those are skills you learn, whether it's you switch coaches, you switch training environments, teammates coming in and out. These are skills that teaches you how to pivot. And sometimes it's small pivots. And sometimes you really have to learn. You get injured right before a big event. You have to pivot and you have to learn how to adapt and change. And mm -hmm. I think it's a skill the best athletes in the world are used to, um, but it's something that they can, you have to shift mentally and overcome. And it's hard. It's not an easy skill to learn, but the better and the faster you can go, that was yesterday. That was the past. I can't change it. We now need to look forward. What does the future look like? And what does right now look like? Where do I need to get to? Where am I at now? What are those steps? And it might be unfair. It might not make sense in having to change. Um, but the longer you dwell or live in, this sucks. It doesn't make sense. I hate this. The, you're just postponing the inevitable. So the faster you can switch that mind frame forward, I think is big and sport teaches you that. And so the longer I've been in sport, the more I've learned that skill, which definitely helped me get through it for sure. Um, and watching some of the younger athletes, but the benefit of being younger is you don't have those routines set in place. Yeah. You don't know what you're not missing. So you learn when you're younger how to pivot because you don't really know. You're excited just to be there. The thought of going to the games, the thought of, you know, crushing yourself and pursuing. You don't know what your teammates are going to be. You're just excited to be there to get the jacket to try. And so the older you get, a bit more jaded you get with those things. It becomes, I deserve this over, mm. you know, I'm excited just to do it. And I think that's where having a wholesome team environment is big and surrounding yourself. Some of your teammates are going to be new. Some are going to be old. And I think that, that there's value in both. And mm, the yeah. more and the younger athletes I can be around, sometimes it's frustrating. So I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and like, ugh. But yeah. then there's other times that I'm like, okay, this is a learning lesson for me. Yeah. I can help give back. I've been there. And it's exciting to watch them be excited. I'm like, I remember that. Um, and if I can help them learn, I had people do that with me going into the 2010 Olympics at Pierre Luters. I didn't know how to handle um, the luge athlete that had died going into the games and the, the major pivot the world had to see and do around the, at the Olympics, all of a sudden, a couple of days before we're supposed to start training, everything gets shut, everyone freezes. And then the game yeah. changed. And I was yeah. like, what am I supposed to do? The track's freaking out. Every athlete's freaking out. They want to, you know, not be sliding. They want to start us at a different point, which changes all the corners and how you slide. And I was like, uh, and so I really relied on the experience of Pierre and I learned how to mentally focus on me, the stuff I can control. The rest is noise. Um, and while the world changes and pivots, I can control how I react, 
how I handle, how I plan things, who I'm around, my environment. Um, I read somewhere, I saw this thing that was like, you can't control the people around you, but you can control the people around you. Mm. And so it's not so Double much entendre right there. <laughs> yeah. Controlling them and their mindsets, but who am I around? Who is going to be helping to achieve this goal and how can I still get there? Um, and what do I need to do to get there? And putting those people and those scenarios and those environments in place is really big. And I think there's something to be learned in that too. Really, obviously, in my opinion, and many others, I mean, you're one of the most decorated athletes, period. Man, woman, doesn't matter, period. But, you know, I always get a lot of questions about you, you know, and, and, and the thing that most people don't, I remember when I got to Altus, uh, Dan said something, there was a whole bunch of group of coaches around and he was just like, the only person that, that knows Stu as much as me is this gentleman here, because that's how I met you. But when we go back to the beginning of things, I think when I remember when I first came to the first practice, it was you, Steve Messler, and a couple others. And I had never met any of you guys before. And, you know, Stu called me over and he says, yeah, so you're going to be training with these guys for a little bit. I'm like, okay, what do they do? He's like, bobsled. I was like, what is bobsled? Right. And he pointed me to you. And um, he said, um, she used to be an alpine skier. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is that? Right. But most people don't know that is how you started in the winter sports. But how did you make that switch, Kelly? Walk, walk me through that, because I know a certain injury happened um, that kind of led you a different way. But most people don't know that. Right. But walk me through a little bit about the beginning stages of how you got started. Right. Because people always see you in this limelight and they see you at the top of the mountain, forgetting that it's a steep climb to get there. It is. It's a very steep climb. I think a lot of people that come to Bob said, most of us are secondhand from another sport. There's a huge track and field. <laughs> yeah. um, as I raced with Felicia and Lolo, and I've done my part to try and bring them to the dark side. Um, but yeah. overall, we're definitely a secondhand sport. We're an older sport. Um, when I first came into Bob said, I was really young. I'm one of the first ones that came in at a really young age. I started at 17. Um, most people come in 24, 26, 30. We've had people start around there in bobsled. So for me, I've had a long career and it, yes, it does seem like I've been at the top, but there was a steep learning curve for sure. Um, I made the transition because I realized in ski racing, so downhill, what you see Lindsay Vaughn do, mm -hmm. um, I was never going to go to an Olympics for that. And that was always my dream and my goal since I was a kid, try and go to the Olympics, become an Olympian, try and win a gold medal. And I realized after multiple years in skiing, I no longer was having fun in my environment. It wasn't satisfying me. I hated going to the ski hill. Um, it just wasn't, the sport wasn't giving back. And I wasn't at the level that I knew I needed to be at. I was watching you know, my fellow ski racers and stuff continue to get better. And I was halted. I had a couple crashes. I broke a couple bones and I couldn't mentally shift to push myself over the jumps to fly through the air. I would slow down and coming last all the time. Sucks. Hey, hey, that, that, that is a defining and it's factor hard. as well. And I put up with it for like a year and I was like, okay, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to do better. And I was working with sports. And I was like, I can just 
do it. But every time I would get to those like fear moments and I would panic, I would turtle, I would mm. clam up a little bit. And then it was like, well, I'm not getting out of it. I'm not, this isn't rewarding for me. I'm not having fun anymore. This sucks. And I'm not at the level. And I needed to be very real with myself in that too. I'm not going to go to a games anymore. And so what am I going to do? Mm. And that's when I thought, well, for me, I've always been really strong as a female. I've had big legs. So I was like speed skating. What else? Bobsled growing up in Calgary. I knew of bobsled because of the bobsled track and watching cool runnings, of course. Hey, and like, <laughs> I was like, what sports could I try? And bobsled was just the first thing I looked up online and I was like, well, how do you even get into these? Cause I, I don't know. No one really knows. How do you even get involved? Um, so I looked up, went, my dad took me to a camp, a recruiting camp, and I just tried out. And I, there was no way I was going to know it was going to end here where I am now, but I had mm. to try something. And if Bobsled didn't work, I was ready with speed skating. I was like, okay, I'm going to try that one too. What else can I try to see? A, what I love. B, what does my skill set fit into? Um, what makes me happy within sport? I knew I wanted to stay within sport, but what was I going to try next? And so from there, um, did bobsled for three years. And then I got to go to the 2006 Olympics, but I was an alternate. Um, I didn't get to compete. I wasn't one of the top two girls. I was ranked third in Canada and I wasn't competing in 06. And that was really, really hard for me, for me going to a games, being so close to my dream and not being able to do anything about it. And I was so frustrated too, because August with the Olympics in February for us for winter, I ended up tripping on a, a garden hose during a warm up, and I rolled my ankle, tore all the ligaments and muscles. Oh. And so that put me out till November. Um, and then I could start training and building again in the Olympic year. And I got to go to an Olympics, but I felt so jaded. It was my own fault, but I cost myself a potential Olympics and competing. Um, I had to help everybody else live their dreams. And that looking back now, that was such a pivotal moment for me because I had to learn a, how to live with my decisions. It mm. was my fault. I tried to jump over the hose and I rolled the ankle, you know, I got to go to the games and I did have a choice to go or not go, um, knowing I was going to be the alternate and I chose to still go. And as hard as it was, I learned so many lessons. I saw the posters. I paid attention to the men, to the women, what it was like to compete. Being an alternate in 06 taught me a lot. And it was every day I went home into the village and I freaking cried my face off watching all of this happen, but there was nothing I could do. Fast forward to 2010, being my first Olympics I was competing in, it wasn't my first Olympic experience. Mm, yes. I had seen the posters. I knew what it was like. I could focus on my job as an athlete in the sport. And that was so important because I would have never known I could have gone back. That might've been my only Olympic experience because of 06 hurting as bad as it did. I became a bobsled pilot. I don't think I would have made that transition had it not hurt as bad as it did. And had I not gone through what I went through, um, and so everything, I truly believe everything happens for a reason, whether we know it or not, um, you know, there can be, and there will be positives on the other side. 
we don't know what our plan is, what the future holds, how things will relate, but there's learning lessons and we can make ourselves the best in those moments. And in 06, I didn't know I was making myself as strong as I was until it came time to use it in 2010. And I was so thankful that I had the experience from 2006. And then 2014, I was able to draw on what I learned in 2010, competing at that first Olympics um, and just everything that went into a home Olympics, the first games and achieving goals and dreams, and then having to try and repeat the performance. I personally feel it's harder to stay on top than it is to get there. Um, for me having to stay up there and defend and repeat when the world is staring at you, when so many people want you to fail, when history hasn't been written because no one in our sport had defended an Olympic medal, Olympic gold medal before. So what makes me special? Why do I think I can do it? Um, and I really relied on Marnie McBean actually during that time, huge because she had done it. So I knew females had done it in their sports. I knew it was possible just because it had never happened doesn't mean it couldn't. Um, and it really relied on people that had been there, that had done it. What were their mind frames? When I'm starting to freak out and doubt my abilities and my skills, is that normal or does this mean I'm going to lose? What's going to happen? And Marnie was a huge support system, but so instrumental. And in, it's okay to think this way, to feel this way. I did it too. Yeah. And that took okay. a lot of the stress and the pressure off of the performance side of me going into it, knowing I'm going to feel and act however I think is appropriate for me. And I need to have confidence in myself and my ability and what I can do and just try my best. Things haven't been written. Medals are going to get handed out. There's no rule anywhere that says it can't be you. So do -hmm. what you can, you know, put your little rice in the cup, as Marnie would say, fill your cup before you get there and just do the best that you can. And that's all that I can ask of myself. I'm going to be disappointed if I don't give my best, if I don't work my hardest every day leading up to it, if I have doubts or fears, those are normal. But if I succumb to those, if I become lazy, if I, um, you know, overall don't give every bit of myself, understanding that real life happens. Like I'm, I'm not asking for perfection. I just need to do the best I can with what I learn. And if I fail, it's another learning lesson. I've learned something new, another tool in the belt that I can pull from later. I don't know when or how, but I will have the ability to. And so yeah. taking the losses, taking the heartaches, taking the stuff that isn't the nice part of sport and realizing it's not, it doesn't make me a loser. It's not a loss. It's a learning lesson for me to utilize and for me to grow from. And those things have really helped too. So when it comes time to perform, when all eyes are on me when I don't know what's going to happen and I'm trying to make history or I'm even just trying to survive and just get through a year like last year where I'm literally just like, who cares what the result is? The fact that I'm here and competing is all that matters. I don't care if I come last. I survived this year and being able to, to go back down to where it's not so much about performance. I think, you know, those are just strategies and ways you can overcome hurdles and obstacles that, may seem detrimental at the time, but actually could have a huge positive effect long-term. You know, support goes a long way in all of these things, right, Kaylee? But how do you handle the pressure away from the track, away from the ice, right? Obviously you have your support there, you know, 
encouraging you mentally, but at the same time, you got to go back to the room by yourself. You know, so you got to warm up by yourself. You got to do all these things by yourself. And I've always found at the Olympic games, the biggest pressure isn't being in it. It's the external stuff that come with it. Because yep. now, you know, you've been to four games and even though you didn't compete at the first one day, hey, 2012, I was in the same spot. You know, I was there for an alternate and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, man, this is cool, but it sucks. You know, it's like, like this, this like, it's cool, but it's just not the same feeling. But as the years went on, you got gold in 2010, gold in 2014, bronze in 2018, and many other world championships before, Kaylee. So there's a target on your back. Expectations are getting higher. More and more people are starting to say, man, I don't know if she can do it again. I don't know if she got it anymore. She getting older. Oh man, yeah. she getting this, she getting that. But how do you, how do you cope with that? Does, because I'm wondering at the beginning, um, when you were finding uh, bobsled, you were trying other things, right? And you weren't worried about failing at it. You were just trying. Did some of that, that, that fearless mentality to just go out and try and see what could happen at that early stage in your life, do you think that played any, any, any part to dealing with the pressure and handling the outside stuff as the success came? I don't think so. Cause I still get fears and doubts when I try things now as I did back then. So just cause it worked then doesn't mean it's going to work now. I very much know that. And yeah, as I get older and you listen as much as I want to say, I don't. And I turn off social media during some times because it is just too hard with those external things and what people say. Um, and once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Mm. So even if I prove them wrong, you still in the back of your mind, it's still there. And so I definitely hear what people say, but I also need to understand that they're not me. Mm. And just because it hasn't been done, just because no one's done it when they're older or when they're super young, just because, you know, everybody's different and I can't let other people's hesitancies or expectations or fears impact me. Um, if I don't have it, if they don't, they don't live my life. They don't a hundred percent know what it's like to be in those scenarios. And I constantly remind myself what I feel internally, those butterflies, that nervousness comes from me wanting to be the best version of myself more than it, than anything anybody said or did, or the fact that, you know, history hasn't been written or that, you know, I need to perform. I need to perform not because people say so, but because I want to. And you know what, if I don't, realistically, I'm only letting myself down and I can live with that if it means I've tried my best. And if I don't, great, perfect. But at the end of the day, I put more pressure on myself than anybody else can place upon me. And so nobody else has been in my position, has worked as hard, has been, and although Certain people will have different things, whether you're told no, because you're a female, you're young, you're old, you know, yes, you can go ahead and do it. Having the world be your oyster is a different challenge too. When, what do you need? And you're like, uh, I don't I know. know. Like, why are you asking? <laughs> like, I, uh, I always had to fight for everything I wanted. And now you're asking me like, what do you want? And you'll just give it to me. And hopefully that's the right choice, you know? Mm do you want to go here? Do you not want to go here? And you're like, I never had this choice. I just always, 
had to fight to race, race, race. And now I get choices. Like, what if I make the wrong one? So it can have, you know, the opposite effect, but overall, I really just have to be aware that I want to win. I want to be my best self more than any sponsor, any spectator, any parent could ever put on me. And I think that's a, that's the other part is I've always tried to surround myself with people that believe in my goals as much as I do that are willing and able to work as hard and as best as they can to be their best self, which in turn helps me be my best self. Um, and as you know, Stu loves what he does. And I learned from him in that scenario, but Stu really could care less if I defend <laughs> an Olympic gold medal or not. If you go out and perform and how many times has he told us in training, like, look, it's your dreams. If you don't want to work hard, if you don't want to do the extra abs, that's up to you. You show up late, well, you don't get coaching. There's a learning lesson, but you know what? It's your dream. So I could care less. I'm going to be here. And so it does. And I've learned that it, it is about me. These are my goals and dreams. This is what I have to do. And it doesn't matter if a parent, a spouse, a random person on Twitter, a coach puts those expectations on. If I let it in, that's my responsibility. I control how I feel, how I act, what I do, and taking that onus on me and understanding that it's okay to have whatever feeling. Um, it has a place, but that ultimately they're my feelings. I think that control aspect has helped me block a lot of stuff out because it is just you when you're yeah. warming up, when you're competing, when you're running, when I'm pushing, when I'm driving, it's me. And if I make a mistake or if I do it perfectly, I'm the one that ultimately has to do it. So it has to make sense to me. Um, it has to feel right to me. I've got to do my very best and I have to be willing to accept when I make mistakes too, because they do happen. Um, and then just fill the support and the support is there to be a support, not mm, yes. to make up for, or to do your job. Um, and so I think that's, that's helped me when it comes to those moments of, you know, no one's ever done it. Great. You have this target. Yep. But I'm still just trying to go out and do my best. It doesn't matter if I've done it five times before, I'm going to do it for the very first time. I'm still just trying to be the best version of myself. I want to drive each corner the very best. I know how to drive it. I'm going to push myself to be the best. I want to be faster, bigger, better, stronger, faster. The Olympic mottos. That's what I want for myself to be the best. And that's what I expect out of myself. Um, and yeah. so it, you can say, you should have done this. Great. I should have, but when I got there, I didn't. Or, <laughs> things you know, good job. You did it. Yep. Made a call. Sounds good. Like glad we can talk about it. And I know to use that in the future, but these are all things. And so um, just taking control and responsibility of your performance, yourself and understanding that, you know, nobody can make you feel a certain way or act a certain way or do something specific and that their pressures are their hopes and goals and dreams for you, but yours are yours and you need to own yours. And that's all that matters. You know, I think one of the things that, 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 that I've told the people closest to me when I'm at those levels is like, yo, it's like no disrespect, but like, I don't really even want to talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just need to, I just need, I just need to be quiet. I just need to be silent. So don't shoot me no message of man, how you feeling? Like you, you 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 know how I you feel know how I'm feeling. <laughs> Shit my pants or like I yeah like I need to ignore this. 
Yeah. Because, well, and I always, for me, and this is something, and every athlete's different. I've absolutely. learned some athletes want their family and friends at a games. I want mine there, but my parents know, and I've had to delegate a lot. I don't see, if I call you, answer the phone. It means I need to talk to you. But for this two weeks during world champs or during the Olympics, if I don't call you, don't call me. Don't mm-hmm. send me a message. Don't say, hey, how you doing? This, if you come to the games, great. It's for you. You're coming to support me for you to like have your dream as a parent or as a friend. You're not doing it for me. I'm here for me and I need you to do this for you and be separate. They don't coincide. I don't want to know if you're running late or I don't want to look for you in the stands or I don't want to be pushing and be like, oh, that's my dad yelling, go, go, go. I, those are all distractions. I don't want any of it. So my parents, I don't see them before. Unless I call them, I don't talk to them, you know, from when I start or enter a games or world championships. And they know that I don't want to see them. They can't stand at the start line. (laughs) I don't want to look up and randomly see you. So you better be in the back row in the middle where nobody's going to know on some obscure corner and watch from a TV or see it go by. But I need you to not be around because I don't see you in all the other races. And my Mm. parents, as hard as that was, they fully understand. They know they come in support for them. They have their Olympic journey supporting me, but they, they aren't seen or heard. They can be at the finish line on that last run. When I'm done and across that finish line, if I see you great, but until that point, no, it just doesn't happen. And again, controlling what I can control that needs to be part of it. Um, and so for me, that's, that's how it worked too, but you need to put those boundaries in place. You need to, and if you can't control it, if it's something like social media, then control it. You can not post, you can give your social media password to somebody you trust to be posting. If you don't want to lose out on those opportunities, but you can't unhear or unsee things. And so if you go on social media, that's your choice. And if you hear or see something you didn't want to, that's your fault. So if you don't want to just shut it down, which I usually do, I don't mm. go on social media during those times. Cause I don't know what people will say or do. So the real world doesn't exist. I watch my Grey's Anatomy and, uh, that's even more emotional TV than the shows. games, Kelly. That's more emotional than the games. <laughs> it is. And like, I watch my shows. I don't want, I don't go to other events. Why? Cause they're my friends. I get so excited watching them. Then I'm like, I can't do that. I'm going to lose all my CNS. I'm going to lose all my energy cheering for you. I'm good. The Olympics don't happen. This is just another race. And that's how I treat it. And for me, that helps. And it relieves a lot of that stress. Um, I can live it at the closing ceremonies. I can live it after. I'll give myself a day at the very first, like in opening ceremonies that day. I'm like, oh, the Olympics. Because I have five days to recover. And then once I start, it's business as per usual. Um, and so instead of trying to block it all, I'll allow myself those moments to live and like be a super Olympic fan during opening ceremonies. And then that's it. Um, really? Just enough. I, so that's how I handle it. But. I've, I've, the only games that I've been able to actually watch you was 2018 because the rest of the ones I was in class. So I had to catch the replay. But I got to ask, which one was your favorite to you? Because every single one means something different. 
right? Yeah. And people always ask me, what was your favorite games? I'm like, um, yo, the one where I got the medal. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's <laughs> really no, but the experiences are a little different. And, but the one that I was able to watch, um, you know, the previous ones, you got two goals. But to me, now I could be completely wrong, but it felt like from what I've seen, from what I heard, I felt like the bronze meant a little bit more because there was so much different than the last ones, right? You were having, again, Felicia, who, you know, um, two years ago, we were going out for lunch at the Olympic Games right there when. So she told me she was transferring over. I said, you're going to do what? <laughs> right? But she didn't have much time as well, too. But again, you have to lead in a different way, in a different capacity. So walk me through quickly about those games. Like, it, did it feel different that year? Because again, it definitely felt there was a lot that was different about 2018. So for sure, everyone always asks me, which games do you like best? And I have options. I've meddled at all the ones I've competed at, but it's kind of like, which kid do you love best? Mm. Realistically, these are my babies. So no parent's going to pick, you know, now do, do you have a favorite every now and then? Yes. Yeah, sure. The one that behaves or the one that gives you that the best memories or whatever. But overall, each Olympic cycle is so different. And I have to treat them differently going into 2010 and was very different. I was brand new, star eyed. I'm going to the games. You know, you win your first medal going into 2014. It's like, oh, I'm so, I got to redo this. Like, what did I do the first time? Can I redo this? I don't know. And then you go into 2018 and I'm like, oh, I can redo this. Like, I know. But then A, am I overconfident? B, I'm with a brand new teammate that has games experience, but has six months worth of bobsled experience, which is not the ideal situation. But it, it was so, 2018 was so different for a multitude. Um, obviously, Vancouver 2010, it's a home games. That one will never, ever be replaced. It was my first gold home games. All dreams come true as an entirety that's the fairy tale one <laughs> defending in 2014 the confidence i felt in myself as a female athlete in my ability to perform on demand in being consistent and knowing who i was that one i like undeniable i changed as an athlete because of the 2014 games for sure um and i just became more of myself and a lot better um, a lot more confident as a female and a lot more empowered 2018 though Felicia and I faced so much in that season mm -hmm. she had to fight for her position on the team she wasn't given anything um, we had a brand new head coach that I had a really really hard time with there was a lot of battles and we really relied on each other 2018 for me is probably the most emotional games that one when I look back um everyone will assume that a bronze means less than any gold medal and that is simply not true mm -hmm. I earned that bronze medal Felicia earned that bronze medal we were sitting in fifth after day one and to not give up and to fight back to earn a medal I earned it it wasn't that you know, we were given anything or we lucked out or somebody else underperformed, like we had to fight for that. And so to have that courage and that strength to not give up, to be in a position that I never saw myself in, which was fifth place after day one. Um, 
And to know everything we went through and everything we overcame, we did it together, Felicia and I did, and that we really relied on each other, on the support we had Stu there, on the people that were around us that believed in us individually and together as a team. It really was a team effort 2018, and we couldn't have done it without Gordon Bosworth, without Stu, without Martin. If it wasn't Felicia, if it wasn't me, that result would have been so different in any other scenario. And I'm very, very proud of the bronze from 2018 and, and what we did that year and what we overcame. And so overall, um, that one will always hold a special place in my heart and it will be a unique games and do I love it just as much yes because of all of those things and so yeah yeah like I said I don't judge any of them individually I've been a completely different woman and athlete for each four-year cycle and so and this cycle has proven no different <laughs> yeah. and so overall it's been yeah, it's been a journey and that's what sport and what life is about. And so um, I think the comparison game, whether it's an athlete's career, whether it's to your own results of I used to be this good versus now, whether you're comparing on Instagram your life to somebody else, it's never good. Comparison yeah, game is yes. never good in any capacity at any point. And so the more we can remove ourselves from that, especially during a pandemic and go, well, this used to be, yeah, it used to be, but that's not now. So the more we can be very real and live in the moment um, and then strive for being the best versions for the future, I think the better all of us can be as people, as athletes, just as humans in life in order to be successful. You know, I remember uh, there was a, there was a sliding competition, I think, and, and, and it was in Calgary and Felicia came over and we had dinner and I was like, yo, how's it going? And she was like, yo, it's, it's a fight. But what I got from that, right? And you know, every new person coming to a new sport, the ones who are in the sport are like, there's no way I'm going to let you beat me, right? There's no way that's going to happen. So it's like all of these things that actually happen that create the foundation of that, of that year. I think that's very important. Um, yeah. The transition. You're at this new cycle and now you're not running, you're not trading, competing for candy more. You're competing for America. And I know some of the things, because I read a lot of the things. I saw a lot of the things. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, first and foremost, y'all need to appreciate all that she's done for this country. What was that transition like, Kayla? Because this is a loaded question. Um, one, what was that transition like? And obviously, what made you move? But also, one of the things that people don't, I don't want to say don't know, but they don't have empathy for. As athletes or people in general, no matter what you do, we all have days where it doesn't go so well. We all fight moments of depression and we all fight moments of dark times and, 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 and things that we think we have this grasp over. But when you're always on the go, you never have a chance to really think about it. Was there ever a time, Kaylee, for you that you felt yourself falling into that state of depression, maybe sadness and this overwhelming heaviness. How did you get out of that? Yes, I have been depressed, um, been diagnosed with depression, took meds for it. Um, some of it was coach driven. 
some of it was, you know, in previous years, I think it's normal when real life gets heavy. I've had to compete through family death, through divorce, through um, just overall feeling and being overwhelmed, not just in sport, but in real life. And those challenges for sure are hard when you're trying to give everything and your very best and then life knocks you down. Um, so for sure, I've had moments where I haven't felt right, where I've been depressed, where I've been super sad, where, you know, things aren't all the fairy tale and the roses and what you want to see or believe. Um, and so overall, though, this, the reason why I made the transition as an athlete after 2018 I had a debrief period and I will always do this. The team does it where the coaches will call you and be like, Hey, what was good and bad about this year? <laughs> but I had to debrief four years worth mm. of it was just, Hey, what'd you think of the last six months? It's how was the last four years? If I'm going to go ahead for another four years, yeah. you work in four year chunks and cycles. Beijing's on my radar for 2022. How can I be, a better version of myself to get back on top of that podium at the next Olympics, what needs to happen and transpire. And I need to learn from the past in order to do that. Um, and so looking back at 2018, looking back at the battles we had to face, the fights we had to fight, just how hard it was overall as an athlete for me, um, we had a brand new coach that year and that coach and I did not see eye to eye. Um, Pretty much. I had, much one, of, right I had one of those coaches. <laughs> I know yeah. what that's like. Pretty much right from day one. The hard part for me though, and I think as athletes in any scenario, and whether you're looking at, you know, gymnastics or any sport whatsoever, we're, we're so vulnerable because our hopes and goals and dreams aren't just ours. We don't have full control. The coaches, the leadership, the high performance directors, the CEOs ultimately always have coaches discretion who makes the team unless you're destroying everybody and there's physically no way. And even then obstacles can be put in your path. You know, it's up to other people on do you make the team? Do you not? Mm. There's a responsibility I have to perform and I can perform my best. But for me, it didn't matter how well I performed. It didn't matter. I had two Olympic gold medals and I was trying to do something nobody in our sport, male or female had done, which was defend an Olympic gold for a third time in the same discipline, you know, 12 years later. Um, the pressure and stress was high in general and um, we survived the season, but, and I say survived because there were moments when I would, cry myself to sleep. I would be so frustrated and so let down. And then it started to change me as an mm. athlete. I started to doubt yeah. who I was, what I thought, my process, my confidence went way down. And then I felt different. Um, and I second guessed everything and it didn't matter how hard I tried to fight. It didn't matter what I said. It didn't matter how I acted. It didn't matter what was said. I was being singled out. I was being publicly humiliated. 
I was being yelled and screamed at in front of the entire world from other countries at the top of bobsled tracks. And overall, there was nothing I could do. And I tried as much as I could in every capacity. And at the end of it, when we got to the Olympics, all I could do was remove myself, which I was so thankful that I had Stu there and certain staff that were able to put me in this bubble because a month before the games, I had asked to go home. I had wanted to be sent home. I was ready to give up on sport and to quit. I wanted nothing more to do with it. I wasn't happy. I couldn't cope or deal with my environment. Um, and I second guessed myself as an athlete and I never wanted to be in that position. To me, that's when you should end sport. That's when you should quit and you should move on. But I knew it was coming not from myself, but from external sources. I couldn't deal with the yelling and the screaming. I couldn't deal with the public humiliation and the name calling. I couldn't deal overall with having to fight to be a female athlete and just try and live. I was surviving. Mm. And so when I made that known months later, after the games, I've done the debrief, I'm working with sports psychologists, I'm getting routine headaches. I'm starting to get rashes and hives, have panic attacks. I get diagnosed with depression. I'm like, this is really wrong. I've never gone through this in any other games. What is happening? I took it upon myself to go get blood work done, to do a brain scan, to go see an optometrist, to go to a doctor, to try and figure out what was happening physically and mentally with myself. Because unless I had an answer, I wasn't going to be okay with just sitting there. I knew something was wrong. The most I wanted to do was take the dog for a five minute walk. And I used to try and search out the free poop bags in our area. And that became the most thrilling part of my day. And I was like, this is really sad. I just Mm. competed at Olympics. I'm a three-time Olympic medalist. I'm the most successful female pilot in the world. And I'm searching for freaking poop bags. And that's a highlight. Like this is something's real messed up here. And so sought out a sports psych, started to have conversations. Um, and I started to, again, feel more empowered as an athlete and as a female. And I started to realize that it was my environment that had such a huge impact on me. And then I, I started to feel bad because I allowed that. I am Mm. so happy with the strength of who I am as a female. And that's what I am proud of in myself. And to know that somebody else could allow me to degrade my Mm self-worth, my ability to have such a big impact on my confidence. I had never, ever in my 18 years in the sport felt so low and never has have I come into a position with somebody that I couldn't remove myself from and that I couldn't just walk away from in order to regain that strength. Um, And because of that, it put me in this big, huge, dark hole. And when I made that known um, within two months, all my funding was cut. My coaches were cut. My staff was cut. My equipment was cut. Um, I ceased to exist as an athlete. Um, I went through, I filed an abuse and harassment complaint with my federation in August and come October, my status as a Canadian athlete disappeared. I no longer was supported by Sport Canada. That funding got taken away. Um, I didn't have access to medical care because 
the Canadian stuff, but not the normal doctors and people that I was used to seeing yep. on mm-hmm. the Canadian roster. And my world went from you're a Canadian athlete up here. We love you to you cease to exist to all of us in any capacity while we investigate this claim. Um, fast forward, the investigation went on for a year. There was no end in sight. I was not being asked back to camps. Um, I had told my federation I wanted to come back to the sport and nothing, dead silence. And as much as it took an ego hit, which I could afford, um, (laughs) and as much as it was like, okay, you know, we may not want you, the realism of my career's over. My career's over and I didn't choose this. Mm, It's not because I'm not good enough. It's not because I sucked. I made a mistake. I did anything wrong. I'm within my human rights to say, I feel verbally and mentally abused and harassed. And I'm supposed to be protected during this process. And I got kicked to the curb. And through this process, now my career is ending. You can only spend two years out. And then I'd have to reprove my worth to the International Federation. And I would have had to re-qualify to be on World Cup, to enter competitions. I would have had to show I can get down a track safely. And I'm like, what is happening? My entire life is just, A, on pause, but now it's slipping away. And there's Mm. nothing that I can do. And so that's when I reached out um, and said, I... I want to be released. I'm the lucky one. I had another option, but I also know that most athletes in any country that have faced similar scenarios and have made a claim, it's ended their careers. And I can see why and how you have nowhere to go. You have nothing to turn to. It's why athletes are so scared of making any claim because it does get held over you we have all your payments, we have all your funding, you don't compete, you don't get sponsorships. This is your life and your goals and dreams, we can say no and not put you on the team. And so you inevitably put up with anything, and any environment, and any scenario, and it doesn't matter how toxic, it doesn't matter if you're being abused verbally, mentally, sexually, you will put up with it for your goals and dreams. And that's not okay. And that's part of why I had to stand up. I was in a power position. I am one of the most successful. I knew if I couldn't do it, who else was going to be able to? Nobody else. No other athlete is going to be able to. They don't have the backing. They didn't have the medal potential. And it still got stripped from me. And if that can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And so that's why I asked to be released. I was married to an American. I know I have other options in life. We all have other options. They might not see, it might not seem like it, Um, we do have other options. And for me, I wanted to continue to compete. I reached out to team USA understanding they could have easily said no, no. you know, and I wasn't given a spot on the team. I just said, Hey, are you okay with this? I did reach out to the other us athletes and also ask Alana Myers Taylor. I called her and I was like, are you okay with this? Cause Mm. I don't want to come in and just be like, I'm here and expect the world to be given to me. I'm going to earn my spot onto this team. I'm not going to be given a single thing, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't causing heartache, pain, or any type of issue for the athletes that have earned their right to represent their country in the best to the best of their ability. And I didn't want to impact them negatively. And so 
after multiple conversations in the U.S. saying yes, they would gladly accept me. I asked for my release from Canada. That led to me being denied being released. I had no contract. I wasn't getting paid whatsoever. But mm. my old the International Federation requires that you be released from your country. And I asked to be released. And Canada said, no, we won't let you go. And it wasn't the Canadian Olympic Committee. Um, they were gracious. And they've been amazing to me. Um, you know, they said, you know what, we can't stop you. If you want to go, this is what you want to do. We're sorry to see you go. If there's anything we can do. Um, but my federation said no. And they came out blatantly and said, we don't want to compete against you for Mm. anti-competitive reasons. We're not going to let you go. So I was stuck. I couldn't Mm. even Mm. in a situation where I felt unsafe, walk away. And that started to infringe on my human rights. And that started to prove to me that, you know what, I was right for making this claim. And I was in a scenario where I felt unsafe and I need to get out of here. And so um, I took them to court. I had to fight for my freedom, Um, understanding it was a ridiculous scenario to be in court in the first place and to do this. And eventually they released me in time for me to be able to compete and hold my status as an athlete so I can continue on the World Cup. Like I said, I wasn't given anything to come over to Team USA. I had to buy a bobsled that was 70 grand. Oh, I had this. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Tell me about it. I didn't get paid for two years uh, (laughs) making the transition. All my sponsors, it was a complete life change in order to do this. But I knew for me to be not only an athlete again, but to be okay with myself morally. I had to stand up for what was right. I have advocated against bullying my entire life. And I found myself in a position. And if I can't stand up and do what I preach, then who's going to? And that Mm -hmm. felt wrong for me. If I couldn't stand up, what other Canadian athlete is going to be okay? Who's going to hold people accountable? We're held accountable with results and actions as athletes you know, to our country, to our teammates, to our coaching staff, to ourselves, but nobody holds coaches and leadership accountable. And when you do to their actions, they can take it all away if they want to. And they did in my case. And I knew I wasn't safe to stay there anymore mentally or physically, and that it was going to make me a former shell of myself if I were to stay there and how much of my morals and my compass was I going to have to give up to continue to be in an environment that made me feel less than human, that made me feel so violated and attacked mentally and verbally that I was having physical issues and I I couldn't cope. Um, And so I needed to get out of there. And that's why I left. And I know people in Canada may or may not understand. And I know I've got supporters and I know I got haters. I get traitor on the daily, on my social media comments. But again, these people don't live my life. These people weren't there. They weren't in this scenario. They don't know what it's like to have insults hurled at you or to be told you're letting your country and your teammates down and that you're not liked or respected, that you know how you think and how you feel is wrong and what you should be thinking and feeling. And as a female, the feminist side of me is like, what is happening? 
but also as an athlete, I'm like, uh, and to take every hope and goal away, but to take all those fears you feel as a human, but as an athlete, what if I'm not good enough? What if I don't see succeed? Am I lean enough? Do I look the right way? What if I say the wrong thing? Am I liked or not liked? Am I letting my country down to take all those hopes and fears and play on them to an athlete trying to do their best is so pitiful in my, my description and coaches and leadership have so much power and control. And again, they can abuse it just like anybody can. And it's not right when it happens. And I needed to stand up and say something. And I did, and inevitably it forced me to, to walk away. Um, which I also advocate for, because at the end of the day, if we can't make ourselves healthy and Mm. happy, who's going to do it for us? I needed to be okay for myself. And it affected my family. It affected every aspect of my life. And I had to start again, but I wasn't starting from ground zero. I had all these tools. I had everything I knew. I just needed to have the confidence to take that leap of faith. And I did it. And honestly, it's been the best decision of my entire life. I am so empowered as an athlete. And I think my results and my performance over the last two years speaks for that. I went into a team that respects me as a female, as an athlete, that wants my opinion, that thinks I have something to value, that allows me to give back to a younger generation. And that empowers me to make my decisions on my performance. Look, you've won a bunch of medals. You know what you're doing. Who are we? And that was such a drastic shift from everything I was told or made to feel um, and how that was drilled into me from before that it took a minute, but I am in such a great place performance wise, but also personally Mm -hmm. to know that I'm around people that empower me to be the best version of myself with, with my teammates now, with my coaching staff, with the organization. But again, I don't know what it means, you know, moving forward, but I know that it's positive. There's light and I am back to feeling my strong self athletically and that showing in my physical performance. And because of that, I was able to win worlds two years in a row, Um, three world championships now over the last two years to be able to win monobob a first ever event for women, something that I fought for with equality within our sport. Um, and to do it on a team that believes in me, it, it would never have happened otherwise. And I made the right call as, as hard as it was. And I don't expect people to, to understand because they weren't there. They don't know. Um, and that's okay. I, during my time with team Canada gave every ounce of everything that I had to the country, to the nation. I was paid to do a job and I succeeded. I won medals for the country and gave my time away from family, friends. Mm -hmm. It ended a marriage, me being on tour, competing, giving every ounce of myself to the sport, to be the best version, to represent Canada to the best of my ability. So I have zero hesitation with walking away when I did to know that I had zero support for a year and I stayed to try and make it work, to try and to stay 
with a country that I love and respect that I grew up in, I gave more than just a little bit. I literally got destroyed in the process. They gave a lot. <laughs> that I I had to, yeah. before it killed me, walk away. Um, I don't second guess it. And again, I don't expect everybody to understand, but I needed to hold myself accountable to a higher standard. Um, I needed to not be in a position and I needed to make it okay for other athletes as well. And to hold coaches and leadership and staff accountable to the treatment of athletes. And I hope it does change, not just bobsled, But every coach around the world, I hope it does bring acknowledgement to how we're talked to, how we're treated, how we're respected, what, you know, environment we're put in and that abuse of power stops um, because it, it needs to. And so I hope my story can help enlighten a lot of people and make them at least second guess. And worst case, at least I can walk the walk, talk the talk bullying has no place in my life and it has no place in this world. And I stood up to it and I will continue to for the rest of all time. And so, yeah, Kaylee, now I'm here. one last real question before the fun yeah. five questions. Um, one thing I always respected and appreciated about you was the fact that you were real and authentic, but you're also fighting for something bigger than yourself. I don't like the word role models because I don't, I don't play a role. That's been on, so we're going to switch it to real model. If there was one word of advice that you would give to a young girl coming up, a young boy coming up, or just in athletes in general, people in general, what's one advice that you would give them? Because you've been fighting for everything, every step of the way. What is one advice that you would give to someone who is fighting their own fight? Don't give up on yourself um, and don't listen to other people. Mm. I think, although that's two pieces of advice, (laughs) Um, they kind of go hand in hand. We'll make it one long sentence, but I think I recognize that I was given a lot of opportunities throughout my career because of people that have fought through so much for me to get to this position. And I want to fight through a lot of inequality injustice in order to make sure it's better for that future generation as well. And I believe that it can be, if it didn't need to be changed, then I left it alone. But if something needed to be addressed, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was the one that did it. I have the confidence. I have the support structure. I have the family dynamic in order to do it. And not everybody does. And with great reward comes great responsibility. And I take that true to heart because I have been given a lot. I need to hold myself to a high standard. Um, I need to represent for women, for athletes, for female athletes, for, you know, success for that high standard. I need to represent because that's what it takes in order to not only win gold medals, defend titles to make history, but to be the most confident person that you can be. And I've had to ignore a lot of people that said it can't be done. I've had to overcome a lot of doubt and fear. Um, I've had to prove a lot of people wrong and I don't do it out of ego, but out of a willingness to be the most real and authentic to who I am. And I have the ability, I have the structure and I have the strength and confidence to do it. And with each milestone that I achieve, it reaffirms that 
I need to make the world, especially the sporting world, a better place for future generations across the board. And so that's why I fight for women in sport and for Canadian athletes. And I will do for American athletes or male, female, bobsled, track and field. It doesn't matter um, if I can help give or make the world a little bit easier, better, or just more real for everybody. Mm. I'm not trying to overcome every hurdle and obstacle because I think there's strength in learning those, but there's enough within sport that you can learn and adjust um, that people don't need to, to have to try and battle and face the injustice that exists. And so if I can take one of those things out of somebody's path and make it a little easier, then, then that's what I'll do. And in doing that, it empowers me, but it also allows me the opportunity. Um, you know, I fought for uh, female equality within our sport, trying to get women another Olympic event. And in 2022, we will have two Olympic events, just like the men, which we've never had. But I got to go to the Olympics because there were women before me that fought to even get us there. And I don't want to let them down. And I'm not going to let myself down. I'm not going to let my countries down, both of whom I represent and will do in my future um, across the board. I have a past with Canada. I have a future with Team USA, but I will not let anybody or anything down if I can help it. And so I just continue to hold myself to that standard and hold the people around me to that standard because that's what it's going to take. And I think we all should hold ourselves to a high standard in order to make the world the best place that it can be. You've, you've, you've over-exceeded all expectations since the Alpine ski days, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. And I couldn't have told you what was going to happen or I would be here, or this is the, the person I would become, you know, but our world changes and shapes us individually. And we are all individual. We have different skill sets abilities and flaws and all of the above and you know we don't need to compare or judge to anybody we are our own selves and we shouldn't listen to anybody just be your best self do the best versions that you can be when you know better do better if you don't know better don't be harsh on yourself for mistakes that are made that's part of life and you know we'll that's I think the best way that any of us can live in order to be the happiest that we can be Kelly, fun five questions. It shouldn't be too taxing. Shouldn't shouldn't be shouldn't be as heavy. Frankie, as, right, I talk heavy. a lot. <laughs> Sounds good. Question one. Stu hates it, by the way. Hi, Stu. Although, if he's watching this, Stu's like, you already said that three times. You want to say it again? He's probably so mad at my answers. <laughs> so for those listening, right, like real quick, like Stu is Stu is uh is a track coach, bobsled coach, and he coached Kaylee and I. Um, but just Stu is take- a dear friend. I love him. Stu is my one of my favorite yes. people entire world but he is very unique and individual he's he has made me the athlete and the person that I am and this guy is a genius but he is very unique in his approaches with things and so if you've been around him you will know um Stu I love you but (laughs) it's uh I've it's been a journey in life when I I know I know you two had some you two had some you two had some 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 squabbles back in the day to say the least oh yeah but all in good all in good all good question one Kaylee uh if you could if you were about to be on a deserted island for a week and you could only take three things what three things you take I would take some chips 
<laughs> I like my chips. Need Doritos, Lay's, what, 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 which, all, just. Yeah, a barbecue of some type. I don't judge, just chips. Um, I would take some chips. I would take some way to have music. Mm. And whether that's, I'm hoping we have power so I can bring like an iPhone or an iPod or a speaker or something. Some way to stream music and get music. And a hammock. Mm. Just lie in a hammock, eating chips, listening to music. If that, if I could do that for a week, be brilliant. (laughs) So good. Question two, Kelly. You know, I think sometimes when we travel, we don't really get to see all of the places that we actually travel to. But what are your top three places you've traveled and you've been able to see? Königsee, Germany. It's a hard one because there's so many great places. I really love London, England. Oh my God. I like Königsee. It's a bobsled destination spot, but I've gone there just like for fun. London. And I'm not going to name another. Something with a beach. Been to a couple places. Beach. But like Mexico, Hawaii, even here, like in California. Just a beach in general. And like warm weather beach. Any one of those that I've been to that has those things. That would be any of my other third favorite places. Question, question three. I think we kind of already know a little bit about it, but what is your favorite cheat meal, Kelly? What is, what is, what is one meal? And I mean, one meal that you can have like for a week straight and not even think two seconds about it apart from chips. Steak and French fries. Is that, or really, a, sushi. Is that really a cheat meal? I don't know, but I could eat it for a week straight and have no, a good steak, like a good ribeye. The little bit of fat and some French fries with some mayo. You oh. have a flashbacks. You have a flashback. So good. <laughs> or sushi. I could eat sushi every day of my life, I think, too. And also be good. Some of those rolls and just some salmon, sashimi. Yep. <laughs> One of those two. I like food. Good thing Bob Slutter. Hey, hey, where you gotta where you gotta work to keep on the weight because you can lose it so quickly. Question four, Kelly. Um, what is one of the biggest misconceptions about you that i'm mean that, i think a lot wait, of people or like i'm really who, who says that i'm really bitchy people that don't really know i think a i've got a really strong resting bitch face i have a really strong like in the gym face um i'm not very approachable in certain scenarios especially in the gym and I don't try to not be, I'm actually super nice and would talk to anybody. I think it just, that's my zone. That's when I get in the zone and I'm there to do a job and a business. And I'm so focused on lifting the most amount of weight or like getting the work in, doing it correctly that I just kind of ignore a lot of outside, which makes me a little unapproachable. So people think I'm super mean or really bitchy when actually I'm really nice. I'm just a bit of an introvert and I wouldn't, I'm not like an exuberant, hey, nice to meet you and go around. I'm the person that stands in the corner at a party. But if you come talk to me, I'm all about it. I can you hold know, my own. I just am not. You say that. It's funny you say party. that. Because I remember one time, uh, uh, one time you came down 
And one of the girls was just like, yo, is that Kaylee? It's like, yo, I follow her on so-and-so. I was like, yeah, go talk to her instead of being a creep. Like she's, she's like she's people don't. They're so scared to talk to me. And I don't know why. Come say hi, please. Like it way less awkward than A, you staring or B just and, like Yeah. And it's funny because like, yo, can, can you introduce me? I'm like, no, you can go. <laughs> I just gonna talk to you. What are you talking about? Uh people last, don't know that. Last question, Kelly. Um you know, everything that you've been able to accomplish and more importantly, been able to overcome to get to this point and so forth. If there was one word to describe you, what would that one word be and why? Passionate. Mm. Um, it's been used negatively to describe me. Um, or, yeah, I think it's also, I've had to turn it into a positive. Um, when people try and call me high maintenance or hard to deal with or bitchy, um, or intense, I think for me, it always comes back to the passion that I feel in that moment for what I'm trying to do. It's usually sport related. Um, I will fight to the ends of the earth for something that I feel is right or justified or that I'm deserving of, or somebody else is deserving of, um, I believe in equality and fairness and being treated respectfully. And those are things, having every opportunity humanly possible, whether you're male, female, white, black, doesn't matter that you should have every opportunity. And I will fight for those things. Um, and for me, it usually gets misconstrued, but I think passion is a nice way of <laughs> explaining what could be seen as a negative. Um, I also think on the positive side, being passionate leads to successful new adventures, understanding that whatever I love to do or whatever foot I step forward in, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. I'm going to do it with passion. I'm going to do it with as much, uh, fearlessness and desire, uh, and mental capacity as I can give. And usually those are things when we approach things, we usually do them out of passion for that. And it gives back a lot to us. So I am a very passionate individual when it comes to sports, uh, especially bobsled stuff, but also in my real life, my family, my friends, the people, I don't have a big circle. My circle is very small, but my small circle is the best circle in the entire world. And I would do and give anything for those people. And I am very passionate about those people in that, that environment in that world. And so Kelly, I would say, thank you. Me. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you appreciate what you're doing. Um, as these next couple of years are about to be busy, people got to follow the journey. Where can people, where's the best way for them to maybe touch base with you, contact with you, or to just follow yeah. up and to see how you're doing? Through social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter are the top two. I do have Facebook, but I don't check it that often. So um, I would say Instagram and or Twitter are the top two and send me a message. I do check them. I see them drop a comment. <laughs> I try and get up to date as best I can for sure. And uh, yeah, that would be the best way.
Kelly, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Of course. Thank you for letting me come on and do this. And I appreciate you doing it and spreading your light and love and just getting everything you know out into the world. It's awesome to see. So, thanks a lot, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you.